Good evening, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode, Game of Thrones Season 4, Episode 3 Recap, post-episode issues with the Issues Program. I'm your host, Phil, and we're here. We're going to break down this week's episode. We're going to break down Breaker of the Chains. I know that's a bad pun, but it's the best I can do at this late hour. I'm a little under the weather, but the game must go on. When Game of Thrones is on, I must talk about it. This episode was not as crazy as last week's episode. It was a little bit of a catch-your-breath type of episode. But a lot of stuff did happen, and we're going to recap it all. It, 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 it wasn't my favorite episode of Game of Thrones. It, it definitely had a few parts that I thought were... Uh, I, I loved the end. I was almost in tears, got to admit. I was holding them back. Yeah, the the end was really good, but uh, but a, l- a little too much Sam. But we'll, we'll get into that. But everybody, Sam Wise, too much Sam Wise. A little bit too much Sam. With me is my co-host Joe for this fun adventure, and uh, and we're gonna recap this episode and go through everything that happened in kind of the reaction in the post post reaction to what happened in the purple uh, wedding. I think we should start with that. I think it was an interesting week seeing everyone go kind of crazy for watching Joffrey die. Knowing that it was coming in the books, it's something that we held our for for a while and didn't want to talk about, but it was something that was hanging out there, and everybody that read the books knew it was coming, and it was just amazing gratification to finally get to see this actor. We're not going to dwell on it. We talked a lot about it last week, but it was great. Well, they they want us to dwell on it a little bit, which is precisely why they started this episode, not with you know, previously on, but after the credits rolled, they started right from the scene of Joffrey's death. Oh yeah, and not just that, we got we got a visual, it just started right on his dead corpse, right on the yep. face. It was, uh, just to give you that feeling again, just to give you one more little high five, oh, he's still dead, don't yeah, worry. They, they definitely want you to still celebrate that moment. Oh. It's definitely still a happy moment for audiences. But everyone, if this is your first time tuning in or your second time tuning in you haven't already, please click that subscribe button. Please comment away on your thoughts of the episode this week and what you think about any, any of the stuff we have to say. Please, We love to read your comments and we try to answer each one of them. And if you comment during the show, if you're listening to this live at any point or tuning in, uh, please comment away and we'll try to answer your questions on the air. So let's get right into it. Let's get right into uh, everything because uh, this episode moved at an interesting pace. Uh, we went through a couple, a bunch of different kind of storylines. There was uh, there, there was kind of a theme. I think the theme went with the name, uh, the Breaker of Chains and uh, protection, breaking away from chains and leading into our big final scene with uh, Daenerys. But, but we'll get there. Uh, we started out tonight as Joe mentioned, right where we left off in King's Landing after Joffrey's death. In fact, we get another another shot of his dead ass, as I said, and Cersei going completely crazy. <laughs> is, is, is it me, or is Cersei finally starting to become a little bit more like book Cersei? And, and, books, and people want to talk, us to talk a little bit more about the differences as we could. Uh, book Cersei is a little bit more of almost like a comic book villain and really uh, emotional, up and down, can be very nice to you at one moment and very friendly and then just sink the claws in in the next second. I think they did a really great job in the last episode in her conversation with uh, uh, Brianna Brianna, uh, of Tarth about uh, Jamie being very nice at first and then the claws coming out and then attacking uh, attacking, uh, with the stuff about give the food to the poor, give the food to the dogs. I, I think we're seeing a little bit more of crazy Cersei from the books. And Cersei's screaming and yelling, take Tyrion, take him away. And then, where's his wife? 
Where's his wife? She's culpable too. We need to find his wife. Yep, and she wants to punish everything about Tyrion. Everybody. Yep. And let's be let's, Vengeance. let's be real here. Uh, she's been looking for an excuse to get Sansa, or you know, to torture Sansa. She enjoys torturing Sansa almost as much as Joffrey did. It's close. Well, where do you think Joffrey learned all this from? It goes much further than the mind games. Remember, remember, uh, we hear Cersei talking about, or one of the Lannisters talking about Tyrion as a boy and what she would do to him in the crib. Yeah, how it, she would torture him as a young boy. And it's not as simple as, as a baby. Uh, it's not as simple as incest. Like he comes from incest and he's fucked up because it seems to be that. Uh, at least in this world, incest is mildly accepted in the sense of uh, what the Targaryens were doing, and that's how they kind of rest. <laughs> and in the sense also that the other two kids seem to be fairly normal. Uh, the, uh, the daughter and uh, Tomlin, Tomlin, is that how you pronounce it? Tomlin and Myrcella, something like that. Myrcella. Myrcella. They seem to be relatively normal, so I... I think that they probably take more after Tyrion and Jamie's personality and Tywin's personality, whereas Joffrey is probably the most like Cersei, which is why she's so emotionally wrecked by his death. And she freaks out, and she scre- and Tywin kind of steps up because he starts to kind of realize I that. I don't necessarily know about Jamie's personality there. We saw some, some demons from him tonight oh, that yeah, go along yeah. with everything else that we've known about him in the past. Um, so I, I don't yeah. know if I would, I would quite put that comparison in there. but And the thing about Jamie, too, if, uh, if we'll get to Jamie eventually. I don't want to jump ahead too much. But the thing about Jamie is we got a little bit, the fact we've been talking about this and hinting at this ever since the, the recap podcast of seasons one, two, and three that we did, that, that Jamie being there at King's Landing right now during the Purple Wedding adds a different element to things going on that wasn't in the book. And things that happened with Jamie to a certain extent tonight were, were somewhat also different from things that happened with the book. But, Correct. But, but we, we go on here, and uh, Tywin kind of takes over because Tywin right away, right away when Joffrey dies, it almost seems like, and, and Tyrion says something about this later in the episode, I believe it was Tyrion. That oh, yeah, it. it was great. He sees it, he sees it immediately. Yeah, he sees he, he knows exactly what his father's going to do immediately. And his father just steps in right away, right at that moment. Everyone sees the gate, get the ships, check the boat, check the boats, take care of everything, guys. Find that girl, don't let anyone out of the city. He he basically immediately takes over. And uh and we see Sansa escaping with the Jester Knight guy, uh, a secret to a secret ship. And I kind of knew where this was going, so I was. There's a couple of things that were happening in this episode that I basically kind of knew ahead of time, even without reading the books. I kind of had a sense for who was about to be out there. I just had a feeling, and yeah. and you can tell the Sansa's thinking because she asks a couple questions like, "Where are we going?" But really, from her perspective, anywhere is better than where she's been for the last. Uh, how long is it supposed to be? A couple of years. A couple of years now. A year and a half. Two years. About well, that. a year and a half, I think. Something, something like it's so hard to tell. Um, Littlefinger says a couple of years, yeah, at least two years, three years. Yeah, it's however long it's been. Anywhere she could go is better than where she's been at this point. So they rode her ship and uh, they let her go. And uh, the, the night guy again, again, is being kind of nice, nice to her and saying, uh, "You're stronger than you know. You'll be fine, Sansa. Just climb up to the top of the ship." And I mean, what else? What else is she gonna do? Do it. She climbs up there, and of course, 
little figures up there. Oh, it's, oh little figures. It's been so long. I miss him. It's been so good. It has, it has been. He is, to me, he is the... When it comes down to it, when Game of Thrones started, a lot of people would think that the face of Game of Thrones was Ned Stark, was was that honorable warrior in this world, and living by a code and all of that. And it was going to be like every other fantasy novel, where that's the most uh, that's the most important thing in the world. But tr- but truly, the two poster boys of this world of Game of Thrones are Varys and Littlefinger. They, well, uh, Cersei, Cersei and, and Littlefinger. They're the ones that are really playing the hell out of this game. Maybe, maybe Tyrion, Tyrion and Tywin as well. But for the most part, uh, Peter Baelish has a long, a long ball game here that oh, he's been yeah. playing he's since played. since Caitlyn Stark's brother opened him from from uh, navel to chin. Like I wouldn't want to play poker with Peter Baelish. That's all. That's all. All I'm saying. Like he he's he seems like he's a good player. He always he he. I wouldn't go want to go in a pot. He's not going in unless he's trying to win the game. I think right. again. It goes to something that Vary said before that he would burn down the whole world to get his way, and it and it's it's very true and it was very telling this scene we see with him. So it's been so long since we saw him, and he said uh, that the, he took care of the knight. He paid the knight ten grand to uh, to save Sansa, and then Littlefinger shoots him in it with an arrow in the head. A couple of people got shot in the arrows with he- yep. <laughs> shot in the arrows, and he says something very funny. He goes, uh, she said something like, he's very nice to him, and he's like, yeah, but I paid him for to be nice to you, and an arrow, and paying will get a man's loyalty, an arrow through a head will guarantee a man's loyalty, and right. that's, that's exactly how Littlefinger thinks. He yeah, thinks you, 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 you pay for it to get it for a little while, or you kill him and you get it forever. His yep. silence. And yep. he doesn't trust a drunk fool. Uh, that followed his, follow orders, and he says, "Come with me, you'll be safe." Uh, and he, and she's like, "What about?" The, or somehow he brought. She's like, "He was really nice to me." And to show Sansa, Sansa's still one of the dumbest players in the game. I, right. I, she's not even a player in the game. That's just it. She's she's a she's a pawn. She's not she's not any. She has no power. She's never had any power. She was always just a little girl playing it at wanting to be princess. I, she's Joe, not I a player in this game. She has no no manipulative bone in her body. John, Joe, I think you're insulting pawns. I mean, pawns can at least take moves. I don't know if Sansa's even in the game. I don't even think she's a piece. I think she's. Uh, I think pawns. I, pawns do become queens eventually if they can make it to the end. So yeah. Yeah, she's playing checkers. Everyone else is playing chess. She's playing <laughs> yeah. So so she goes off with Littlefinger, and he says he's going to sail with her to uh, sail home. So he's going to sail apparently to the same place that. Uh, that uh, Arya and the Hound are going right. He's sailing back to the uh, Eyrie. Is it? Uh, no. To, is that is that where they're going? Yeah, yeah back to the Vale, to the Eyrie, the, the same yeah. place. Yeah, to go to go uh, to go yeah. see Catelyn's sister, and uh, <coughs> that's the same yep. place as I said that Arya and the Hound are going. So perhaps we will get a Stark meetup in the future. That's that what I crazy. Hope. That crazy, crazy, crazy Tully. Yep, that's the wacky Tully. I I don't know how I, I don't know how you handle a hand. How do you tr- how do you solve a problem like Maria? That that's what I would. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we uh, so we then we get an awesome scene with uh, uh not enough uh, Marjorie and Lady Elena and, and never enough of them. Uh, and Marjorie's another character that I feel like uh, uh, since since we do make reference to it sometimes uh, that Marjorie 
the show did a great job with creating more of a character out of Marjorie than you get in the books. And the Tyrells in general. I like that they took away one of the brothers and kind of just narrowed it down to one brother. Uh, and uh, I, just, I, I like what they did with the Tyrells. They make, the Tyrells are much more compel compelling to they're me. A little bit more dynamic. They're, they're starting to get Mace involved a little bit, so... A little bit more, but... Just, but they, just his name. You know, we're going to have a whole bunch of questions. Who's this Mace character? It's, but, uh, it's Elena's son uh, and the sword swallower's father, I think. But for those of you that don't read the books, again, this isn't going to be a spoiler for anything in the future, with the, the Tyrells, instead of just having uh, uh, Loris, Lor, Lor, they have another son that's a great swordsman, and Loris is supposed to be just a great... Uh, Great night, and they combined them into basic into one character. They did that a lot in a bunch of situations. Uh, with uh, with one of Robert's bastards, they they combined two of those stories into one character. They do that a lot in the show, and I like that. I like that because I think it, if I think the show has enough characters, I think some of especially more casual viewers that aren't obsessed with it, the show has so many characters it can be kind of overwhelming. So to combine and and do that, I think it I think it really makes a lot of sense. So. So we get a scene with uh, with Marjorie and Lady Elena, where Marjorie's basically just saying, "I'm I have just a cursed vagina. My vagina is so cursed." Or no, my <laughs> vagina. My, I'm just a cursed girl. Uh, yeah. I, and uh, and uh, Lady Elena sums it up great. Uh, Her vagina's lonely. I think what she was saying, "My vagina's lonely because I'm cursed," is what she was saying. And uh, Renly was. Uh, would would rather have sex with boys. Uh, Joffrey would rather torture people, and 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 I just I'd married a lumpy dumpy man. Or and she, and she's just complaining about she's sad and uh, and sad about Joffrey being dead, and that was horrible. Well, no, no, she's not sad that Joffrey's dead. She's sad that she's not queen. She wanted to be queen. She wanted, and she thought she was going to be able to control Joffrey. Like the grandmother says, you did a wonderful job with Joffrey, but you know she, she controlled. Be happy that you're going to be a lot happier that he's dead than you would be married to him. Exactly, and and to be fair, Marjorie and Tywin handled Joffrey better than anybody did. They were the only two that knew how to kind of put him in his place in different ways. Marjorie fed into his, his uh, sadist. Uh, de destructive side that that being like oh I'm interested in the fact that you like to torture things oh that's wonderful and uh, it's interesting that as as horrible as because the actor played Joffrey so horrible <coughs> they didn't have to add extra stuff that they had in the books about him like torturing animals and stuff like that they didn't necessarily have to put all that extra stuff in the show because he was just horrible enough no they just skipped they skipped they kind of just skipped right over it they just had Jackie Gleason the actor that plays Joffrey they just had him uh, shoot it! Shoot his arrows at prostitutes and stuff. Yeah. Like they, they, yeah, they, yeah. he's king. You don't have to mess with little animals when you're king. It's good. You know? They are right. Everybody's the little animal when you're king. People, so the prostitutes, the poor, the anybody who's not mummy. But in Marjorie's defense here, we did get a moment where she said it was really kind of sad. Like, she was a little sad for the fact of seeing Joffrey and his family in his mother's arms dying. And that's and, and that's when Lady... Clawing at, his, clawing at his own throat, by the way. Right. So they, there's where, where you make the, the... You didn't see him actually tearing out his own throat, but she makes that reference right now to, to bring that imagery... That it's, we lose from the book that we were talking about last week, where we had that debate about whether or not he was actually digging at like 
tearing out his own throat. It's the same thing uh, back in season uh, two when uh, when uh, Tyrion's injured in the battle, not quite as bad as in the book, and Cersei comes in and goes, "Oh, your face isn't as bad as I th- as as they say." Without- right. Exactly. Exactly. It's the same exact thing. It was a little little mm-hmm. shout out to the people in the book to be like, oh, I know we didn't do it, but we're aware that we didn't do it." Which right. Makes it okay. It makes yep. it makes it okay. So so uh, yeah. So she. Lady Leda tells a story about her her husband and watching him die and how it was blah 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 blah. But it was funny because she's funny and and <laughs> it wasn't really it wasn't important to anything. It was just like yada yada yada. There's there's no relevance here. And and basically Joe summed it up perfect when he said that the the whole point of the scene was Lady Elena explaining to Marjorie, you might be a little upset that you're not queen officially now, but your options open up a little bit and don't worry about it. You're you're gonna be lucky you weren't married to that little psycho freak. Yeah. I, I think there's plenty, I mean, there's plenty of more Lannister Baratheons left. Yeah, d- don't worry, don't worry. You're still you're still unsoiled. But, you know, <laughs> Renly didn't touch you. I mean, we all know that Marjorie did something because of her conversation with Sansa, when which was like, oh yeah, of course I've done stuff. But 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 yeah. Marjorie is still. Well, she a- had that conversation with with Sansa, and she also has the conversation with Renly back in season beginning of season two right about. Uh, about, you know, if you want to invite a boy in with us, you can invite a boy in with us. My brother, even, yeah, she, she said, bring in Loris. Another, another. She's pre- she, Let's have, let's have uh, incest. Oh my God! Do you know what? I, I'd love to be at a party with uh, the Red Viper and the Tyrells, with the with the. <laughs> Tyrion, Joe, come with, on. With the Dornish people and the. Uh, oh, that would be a that would be a party. We'll get the we'll get dwar- the the Dorn, the dwarf, and the and the flower. Oh, it's a party. Oh. <laughs> the Sand Family. A magical mystery tour. There you go. The, the 10,000 strong Sand Family. <laughs> you can get the Unsullied to come there and just watch. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really great in there. So, so basically that's that scene. And then we go to, I, I think, probably the most important scene, uh, group of scenes, or my, my favorite part of the episode. We see Tywin talking. It, Tywin, Cersei's there, but she's not really talking. They're they're, they're looking over Joffrey sitting, <laughs> in his, uh, sitting in his coffin, and it's Tywin talking to uh, Tommen. 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 Tom. Tom. Yeah, we're gonna talk, call him Tom for for easy things. Uh, the the other Lannister brother. And and I was watching the show with Stephanie, and Stephanie said, "Who is that person?" And just to be fair, this was another replacement character. That or actor, they replaced the character. They actor. they made him a little older, right? Because of the some of the stuff that he's probably going to have to do in the next season. They wanted to they yep. wanted to uh, age up the character a little bit, which is fair enough. But he is a little bit different uh, in appearance, and he's a little. It takes a moment to be like, oh, who the hell is this? He's supposed and, to be only like ten years old in the book. Yeah, and he, like he's supposed it, to be pretty young. And he doesn't seem 10 years old. He seems more like 13, 14. He seems around the same age, not that much younger than Joffrey. Like Rickon's age. Yeah, about Rickon's age. Maybe a little older than Rickon. And, but in fairness, we haven't seen Rickon in a while. <laughs> and uh, so, so it's, it's Tywin talking to him, asking him if, if he knows what it means that Joffrey's dead. And, and, this, and, and Tomlin's like, yeah, yeah, I know what it means. I'm king. And and he, he and uh, Tywin starts quizzing him. What's the best temperament for a king? And he and he said, Oh, well, or what's the best thing? What's the best qualities a king should have? Well, right, quality. 
and he says, uh, holy, and he and, and Tywin just keeps shitting over everything he says, and then he says, justice, and he names all these situations where other kings messed up where they called themselves these names, and and then he just keeps going in, keep, keeps more digging, digging more things after more things towards him just to kind of keep infiltrating his mind, and it's very interesting the way he's doing it. He's doing it by bringing him up a little bit. <laughs> And then he asks, infiltrating his mind. <laughs> infiltrating his mind, similar to the way in the uh, the Golden Child when he infiltrates that all those uh, the monkey man's mind. He's getting in there. He's starting. He's starting the teaching process. What he's starting is he's starting the um, control. The, yeah, the control process. Actually, the 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 the, the uh, uh, I don't know. Brainwashing. Yeah, yeah. Brain. I was trying to think of like what you. What happens to like your kidnapping the, the Stockholm syndrome? Yeah, because <laughs> Tolman's now is little is going to be you know he's basically going to become you know this is this is speculation. Tolman's life now becomes Tywin's little bitch. He's he's a puppet king. He's a puppet king for Tywin. Tywin's got a good eight years to do anything he wants in the kingdom to rule without anyone. Yeah, telling him or saying any kind of. He's the hand of the king to the to, to the youngest king in a, in a thousand years. And basically, this whole talk, this whole this whole lead up with he talks about strength, and he goes, "Your father had strength," or he doesn't even say strength. He says Robert Baratheon had no, strength. no strength was because uh, it was um, he wanted to be uh, pious, like a like holy, and he gives him a uh, this king was holy, and he was an idiot. He stopped eating because food was sinful. He said, okay, so I'll be just. He goes, don't be just. You don't want to be just because everybody will love you and the rich people will kill you. He says, oh, well, then maybe I'll be strong, a strong ruler, a strong king. He says, you, 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 your dad. Yeah, you'll be well, he doesn't call him even your dad. He says Robert Baratheon. Yeah, Robert. He doesn't even call him your dad. He says, Robert Baratheon was strong, and look what happened to him. He was a whore and a drunk. It was another way to ingrain himself into him because he he says he leads him into saying wisdom and he says yes wisdom because because I'm all about being wise. Tywin says that's what kings know to listen to your advisors and yep. as Joe said, Tywin long after long after you're able to rule, you will still listen to your advisors. Exactly, exactly. Tywin Tywin said he can finally control the th the throne. The, the throne. He said your brother was not a wise king. If he was, he would. He, you would not be king. And uh, oh, you and, see Cersei's face in that moment. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, 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 over over his dead body. Over his dead body. He's saying this stuff. And then we just see them both walking out with just Tywin in his ear, like inside his ear. He has his tongue so deep inside this kid's ear, turned changing him into his little puppet boy. Yep. Joe was saying this is basically leading into the fact that that Tywin is going to be controlling the throne from now on. It is it's Tywin's throne. In in Cersei to a smaller extent, because she'll probably have some influence over, over her son. But even in the scene, you could see that Cersei is losing this child to Tywin. Tywin's taking this one because he says to him a couple times, "You have the right temperament for a king. You're not an idiot like your brother." And it's true. Even in this scene, you can see that this kid is not an idiot like Joffrey. He's not going to do sick, twisted shit. He's going to do what Tywin says. He's going to he's going to make him his. Listen, Cersei had the first two. The one that became a, a psychotic king that ends up getting murdered at his own wedding, and the one that the uncle gave away to a psychotic family 
the only the only kingdom in the in the seven kingdoms to hold out against against anyone to Dorne send, sends the daughter to Dorne and they don't even send her back for the brother's wedding because they know if they send her back there's no way they'll get the, the girl back to Dorne she's the sa she's Oberon's safety as we see when Tywin goes to Oberon's room and they have that little discussion yeah so then we get into a little bit of alone time as uh with as with Jamie and Cersei as Jamie walks in as Tywin and uh, and the boy leave and complete deviation from the books here. Okay, so so we asked for some alone time and uh, and I I think one thing was sure from the books. I think anyone who read the books knew one thing that was about to happen in the scene. And I'm not going to spoil it right away as I'm about to lead into the scene. But they all everyone knew what the culmination of the scene was. Everyone knew they were going to end up having sex in front of Joffrey's dead corpse. I think that that was the big whale in the room right here going into this. We knew what was going to happen because in the books, if I remember this scene was mutual, but in this situation it definitely wasn't. Uh, Cersei tries to manipulate Jamie initially. Uh, they walk in, she says, Tyrion, ki Tyrion killed him, uh, you saw Joffrey, he pointed at him, and uh, and you know you know it, You need to, what you need to do is you need to kill Tyrion. He killed your son. And he, she says, if anyone who wondered if Jamie knew that these these were his kids, any any wonder about that's out the window. They were talking openly about this is your son. <coughs> yeah, and that and, and I don't think I don't remember them ever openly talking about it in the books like that. No, it's another one of those things that's just obvious, more obvious in the show. They just make it kind of like a thing, similar to like Theon not having a dick. It just becomes instead of just being whispered, it's it's just a fact. Right. And she, and she says some truth, so you can almost see from Cersei's perspective, and Tyrion says this later in the episode, you can almost see from Cersei's perspective where she could think, because she's not that bright and she's emotional, or she's not as bright as she thinks she is and she's emotional. You can see where she could think Tyrion was the one that did this, because she says, Tyrion once said, uh, your joy would turn to ashes in your mouth, everything would everything would go bad, and he threatened me many times, and he did. And yeah, no, she, she's just lashing out. I, she's always, she blames him for her mother's death. No, she's I always tortured him. She needs someone to blame. She doesn't care who it is. She's going to put Tyrion to death and worry about whether or not it was the right person later. She can always kill someone else, but right now she sees the opportunity to finally get rid of the dwarf that's been plaguing her life since the moment he was born. She can get rid of him, she can get rid of Sansa, she can not have to worry about any of that anymore. No, I tend so. to, I agree with you, but I also think, in a sense, you could, for all her irrational behavior, I can see where she's connecting the dots and legitimately thinks that Tyrion killed Joffrey, from her yeah. perspective. I bet she re she really thinks that. I don't think I don't think Tywin does, and I don't think Jamie does, but I think she really does think that. I think she believes he could do that. Yeah, maybe in, a, maybe in some sort of a mystical sense, like you, like you made the quote: where "As soon as you're at ease and safe in the world, and, and and at most joy, the joy will turn to ashes in your mouth," like you said. But right. I do not believe that she actually believes that Tyrion did it. She knows Tyrion. Tyrion's had opportunity to kill everybody in the family for the last 30 years. And, and, he's never, and he's never done anything bad to the family with the exception of Kill Mama when he was born. So, that wasn't his fault. That wasn't his fault. And, but according to Cersei, that's his fault. Yeah, so yeah. everything from that moment on is his fault 
in a respect, you're right. She does blame him for Joffrey's death. It was absolutely his fault. But I don't necessarily believe she believes that it was him who poisoned her. Yeah. yeah. And Cersei says that he'll go on trial and all that sort of stuff, and somehow he's smart enough that he'll squirm, he'll squirm his way out of it. He's which done before in the veil. Yes, and he's famous for fighting uh, for, with the crazy Tully for outthinking his way out of situations. Jamie, you need to kill him. He was our sweet boy. Kill Tyrion, and then she kisses him. And sweet boy, yeah, right. <laughs> no, Jamie, thinking, yeah, my ass, and then they. <laughs> They, they have a mutual. They have a mutual kiss, and then she she stops, in the in the she sense. Pulled back. Yep. But but in the sense, I get the feeling like she was she was giving him the, if you kill Tyrion, I'll give you the rest. Kind of te- teasing him a little bit, and and he reacted that in a in a really inappropriate, destructive, horrible way by basically pinning her. Look down. at you all PC. Look it's at you all PC for your viewers. No, I'm not being PC for you. <laughs> he, 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 he takes his due, man. He take, Oh, is that what it was? Oh, whoops. He raped her. <laughs> he, he raped her and no, she, it was awful. It was an awful scene. It was an awful thing to do. And he called her the evil woman that she was. He finally yeah. saw her for the evil, manipulative woman. He was going to finally not be manipulated by it anymore. I hear you about that, but he took control. Right, exactly what rape is all about, right? It's about control, not sex. It's not about any of that. He He finally took control. He ended the cycle of crazy. Yeah, and he proved himself to be crazier and a more horrible person or just as big of a horrible person as Cersei. And any growth that Jaime made in all the seasons kind of took a backseat. I don't care how horrible Cersei is, she shouldn't have... That was that was a horrible scene and horrible for Jamie and completely changes Jamie's dynamic and his character from the books. Completely changes it and turns him into a completely different kind of person that loses control and and it could rape somebody. I I mean or rape the person he says he loves. Or I think that scene was exactly what you said. It was him taking control over the situation and saying, "I don't love you anymore. I'll take what I want. I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm done with." I'm done with being your puppet. I'm done with doing everything for you for love. Fuck you. I'm taking what I want, and I'm done with you. I think well, that's it, being done. It, it's kind of curious to me what they're going to do now, because it was such a strong um, theme in the books, his his arc as a character, his redemption. It was such a strong thing in the books to, to watch him grow that I'm really curious to see what they're going to do to give us... Uh, Jamie's soul back in the future. Like, we had him jump in the pit to save Brienne, and he was going to give the girls back to Caitlyn and all this. And, like, we've seen this 180 here, which is a complete deviation from the from the book, the character arc in the book, that I'm going to... It's cur- I'm curious to see what will have happened to Jamie now to get him to realize uh, a, a sort of epiphany to, for, for his character growth. Yeah, or, or if maybe maybe this foreshadows something that we haven't seen in the books in future books that you know was going to mark the 180 in the future, so that eventually maybe the two character paths will line up again that we just haven't seen or read in the books yet. It also does a really interesting thing for 
for the first time that I can remember, really turns Cersei into a victim and someone that you feel for in that moment. And that's something. Bit, I, yep. And that's something I never felt in the books, and that's what I was getting to. It wasn't that, wasn't necessarily that I was feeling PC. It was that for the first time ever in the show and ever reading or listening to the books, I felt for She's certain. She's being raped underneath her dead son's body for crying out loud. I mean, you have to feel something for her. That's like why what what you've done does not deserve this. Exactly, you know, and, any part of that. And that scene in the book takes on more of a morbid sexual. Uh, them being turned on almost by being in front of their dead son in a sense of what they're talking about and her doing some sort of manipulation. They shifted it around and made Jamie a sense of villain in there but also fighting, breaking the chains to go to our, our title of this episode, breaking the chains that Cersei had around him. And and that was a big... Yes big, and no. Um, yes and no. Uh, it depends where they go from here. It, de it depends where they go from here with Jamie. Right. It, it could completely change, and I don't, again, we're not going to get into spoilers from the book. We'll only talk about the book as we've been doing tonight. We're talking a little bit more about it tonight in association because things are changing, and I feel like we have to talk, because I feel like people that might just watch the show might be curious of a little bit more information or how the show did something different. So, so that's why we try to spell out the little contrast and look how different things mean different things. And this definitely changes someone who, at this point in the books, becomes very much a hero for 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 uh, his his big change to the whole Brienne arc. And this really kind of punches that in the gut and pushes him back a little bit and shows how much he's struggling with who he is right now and how much he needed Cersei for protection and how much her manipulation is just too much. One thing he just can't handle and, and he's fighting back. He's fighting and back. This, and this is where I gotta, I gotta put out a nod. Uh, there's some other shows we've done reviews about that have done this very well. Their deviations from the book. Their ability to change things from the book just slightly enough to make it uh, excitable for the viewers who have read all the books because, you know, none of us saw that coming to that degree. And maybe some of us did, but f for the most part. And there's others, other series have done that really well, too. Uh, so I, I thought that was done done pretty well, and I, I, I'm excited to see how they how they fulfill his car character arc now. Absolutely. Excited. And it goes to what we were saying right, right at the beginning, J having Jamie arrive at King's Landing when he did in association, and having the ability, the way they split up this season with the or th the last two seasons by splitting uh, this book into two different seasons and making crisscross story arcs, and it's been uh, it's been really it's been really interesting to see the way they've done it. So after this, after the uh, the Jamie and Cersei rape scene. We go to Arya and the Hound, and a little bit of bickering back and forth between Arya and the Hound. Hey, uh, Hound, do you have a map? I don't have a map. You're an idiot for not having a map. I need to get... Listen, princess, I'll get you a map ASAP. And uh, we're and he says he can't wait to drop her off because he'll go to his new life. And she's like, what the hell are you going to do? And he says, maybe I'll go over to the east and become a sellsword. I think I'll be I think I'll be good. And, and to, to Arya... The second sons. The second a couple, and this was one of the things I thought was great in this episode. We get a couple of different troop of cell swords mentioned. We've already heard of the Second Sons. That's where, isn't that where, uh, who's? Yeah, who's uh, Dario? Dario and the Second. Dario, Sons. and then we heard about the uh, 
the golden something Arc, or other. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the golden company. When we get Later to the Stannis thing. Yeah, and there was a couple of more. We'll get to that when we talk about Stannis. But I think it was interesting in this situation that we really... Uh, Arya seems to, at the beginning of this scene, be very open to the fact that the Hound might have be changing. And she's almost giving him a chance. She, said, she says, uh, oh, uh, I, I, just, I have some friends over in Bravos, And you almost think that she might be thinking about helping him or something. She's like, oh, I have some friends over in and, uh, and, and the hound's just like, yeah, no, you don't. I bet you don't have friends. Who gives a crap? Whatever. Screw you. Well, not necessarily helping him, but going with him. Right. And, and just thinking that maybe, I think she's starting to warm up. I think the events in the last scene, in the last ep- episode, the last time we see them, really led her to think that the hound, maybe maybe he's not as bad as I thought a little bit. I think it, at the beginning of this well, episode. This is, and this is all deviation from the book here, too. Um, yeah. This is kind of maybe... Maybe stuff that would have been pre-Red Wedding that they kind of glossed over, um, because it's it's it, it's going to highlight stuff in the future that I'm not going to talk about. But this is all stuff that we would have gotten pre-Red Wedding, but there was too much to do last season. I think that they they're yeah. putting this after the Red Wedding and after the scene where she gets Needle back. So. And yeah, and I think they knew that there's a couple of big events in this season, but for the most part, especially with the Danny stuff, is is going to be light. It's it's a it's a similar. I don't want to talk too much about what's going to happen, but but Danny isn't as active as she's been in other seasons, so they need to fill in the gap of other stuff that's happening. And I think Arya and the Hound stuff's perfect for perfect the placement where they put it because and everybody loves them. They're they're a great foil for each other. So great comic, the best comic team since Tango and Cash. So, so we uh, go to so uh, they bump into these uh, to a guy and his daughter, and and uh, the the hound lies or or the hound's just like about to be an asshole and and be just kind of like prickish to these guys, it to, the, to these people. And Arya uh, smartly kind of says, "Oh, we're we come in, we fought for the Tullys, and uh, we're just walking through." And this guy invites them to spend the night. And feed them, and <coughs> so they go to a. Pr- they go that, to that shows again that show Ari and when uh, she was at Heron Hall with with Tywin, and he's quizzing her about all the houses, how important it was that she knew where everybody was, all the studies that they tried to teach her in the first season about the houses and all the all the the uh, the relationships between them, that she knew exactly where she was. And who she was about to talk to, that she said House Tully. My list of uh, favorite things changed from the book was number one is having Arya as Tywin's little uh, little servant there. I love I love that aspect of the show. I, th- I thought that was I thought that was perfect perfect that they put that that they had that happen that they they uh, that that was a great change. So we go to a, a prayer for dinner, and the, and we don't. We, even with prayers, we don't get in between the hound and in a meal. The hound doesn't like to wait for a meal, and he's staring at the food like a like a like like a hungry dog, and just I want to eat that food. I want to eat that food. And the, they're both praying. of them, both him and Ari, hungry dogs. Yep, and they're just like, come on, do we really need to wait through this prayer? And, <laughs> and the hound's like, yeah, you could do all seven prayers. I'm hungry. And uh, don't he only let him do six. <laughs> Like uh, he's like, you know what you should ask God for is that some stranger's not going to stab you in the night for waiting, making well, you too long to eat. The stranger is one of the seven. 
like the maiden, the crow, the warrior, the priest, the mother, and the stranger. So uh-huh. he was like, yeah, yeah. So the stranger, <laughs> he was making a pun there, and he, he finished the prayer for him. Basically, he said, shut the fuck up, I'm hungry, and the stranger's going to kill you, making him stare at food. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. And uh, and they, so they start eating the soup and slurping the soup with a stew. And the, and I love how they all slurp the stew. They uh, they drink it like it's yeah, a Yeah, they just yeah, drink it right down. Pour it. They don't even ladle it out. They just pour it right in the next bowl. Yeah, they, and they just get, and they and they don't even they don't even save any for the family. They just uh, Ari and the Hound. They just slurp the whole bowl of soup, the whole uh, pot between the two of them back and forth. And uh, and he asks the Hound for help. He says that that uh, that things are getting very difficult in the area that he's in. He's uh, getting a lot of unwanted guests. The Freys are stepping in and being real assholes in the area and messing with him. Messing with him. He could really use the Hound to uh, be kind of a sellsword for him. What he, well, basically what the Hound was saying to Arya at the beginning of the episode, that he might sell his services to people that need his help. And he's like... Yep. And the hound's like, "Oh, can you pay me?" And he's like, "Yeah, I got a little silver tucked away." But he can't. He can't do that in Westeros, though. If he yeah. does it in Westeros, once word got out that the burned-faced hound is up in fucking some farm fighting off phrase for for silver, they're gonna come kill him. So, or even worse yet, for him, his uh, whatever's left of uh, people will just come find him or try to get him to come back to the throne or come back. He just wants to be left alone. He doesn't want people to bother him right now. And uh, but he but he agrees. He asks if he <laughs> have any ale. He's like, uh, what kind of a man doesn't have ale? He gives him kind of a dirty look. Like, come on. And we also get a little bit of a talk in this moment of the red wedding, and uh, and how we we hear about the effect of what what Walter Walter Walder Frey has done, and uh, breaking up the guest rights thing, and and how everyone in the countryside is looking. So- is thinking like a curse onto this a curse onto family Frey. This is not something you do. This is so horrible. And I think this is important to see that this episode saw a lot of effect in post effects, especially at the beginning of what happened after the Purple Wedding and everything that happened with Joffrey's death. But we also got some uh, results, still seeing results of of from the Red Wedding and and seeing what's affecting the whole countryside of Westeros and how everyone's reacting to this and looking at the phrase now is as pariahs, as horrible people, as like the worst of the worst. These people are horrible. And and ultimately, uh, as Tyrion says this earlier, or I believe he says this at the end of the season in the last episode of last season, that that yes, uh, Walder Frey will get all the credit or get all the blame depending on who you're talking to, but we know that you and Roose Bolton had a lot to do with this too, but everyone's going to blame Frey because he's the one that broke the oath. Yeah. And he's just he's he's damaged goods now, even more than he ever was before. And we really got a feel for that in this moment. In in this wise, be a wise ruler. So Arya wakes up to the sounds of the a hound beating the shit out of this guy, and he stole all the silver. <laughs> <laughs> and, all he sees is just another dead girl. <laughs> he doesn't care. He go, and, he, and he starts yelling at Ari. He's like, listen, those two people are going to be dead by the winter. They're cowards. <laughs> I'd protect them, but they're cowards. They're going to be dead. Yeah, the dad can't fight. They're dead. They're yeah. Someone else is going to come, kill them, and live on their farm. Yeah. And she's like, you oh, are the... Yeah, keep the girl. <laughs> keep the girl. And she, she cook a good rabbit stew. 
and she's like, yeah, and she and he's like, yeah, they're great, they're great people, you know. They she cooks a great stew, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna protect those people. They're they're idiots. And she's like, you're the worst person in all of the seven kick, or you're the worst shit in all the seven kingdoms. Yep, right back onto her list. Right yep. back onto her list. And he's like, listen, I'm not one of the worst people in all the Seven Kingdoms. He goes, how many Starks gonna lose their head before you're gonna figure that out, Arya? And she's like, on the list twice. Yep. <laughs> she was so pissed off at that. And she just gives this look like, oh god, I am going to kill you one day. Are you piece of shit. Just when I thought, speaking of piece of shits, so let's get this over with. To the wall. <coughs> to the wall with Sam. And uh, we get the Sam stuff. I'm not a big fan of Sam in the book, and I'm not a big fan of Sam. I'm less of a fan of Sam in the show. I was I, a big fan of Sam in the book, and I am less of a fan of Sam on the show. Okay. They're kind of making, they've done a lot of little changes to him that I don't find for the better. We made, we talked about this a little bit before. I guess I like book Sam better than I like uh, show Sam. They turned Sam a little bit into kind of like what they did with uh, Samwise Ganji in the old Hobbit cartoons. They made him a little bumbly, a little extra bumbly. Oh, hey, everybody. I'm Sam. And just a little... <laughs> what was that, Mr. <laughs> Bell or something? I don't know what it was. It was Gumby? That's my Sam impression. Give me a break. So to the wall with Sam, and we get we get a feel that he's getting some shit talk for the girl. He's like, they're like, oh, is she a whore? We'll give you copper and to, we'll give her some copper and see if she has sex with us and see if she. Has sex. <laughs> so obviously the whole girl thing is is light on the wall. So they uh, he he's, he says to her to uh to uh, what what's her name again? Uh, I, f I forget her name right now. Right now. Yeah. Gilly, thank you, thank you, Gilly. He says to Gilly that she think everyone thinks that uh, I lied about killing the Walker, and she's like, "No, Sam, I, you didn't lie." Uh, and he and he's like, "Oh, everyone think thinks you're a wildling." Oh, my daddy hated wildlings. Yeah, your daddy hated everything. <laughs> your daddy hated everything but but having sex with his daughters. It makes me sound dangerous. Yeah, it makes me sound dangerous. And, <laughs> with my suckling infant, I'm so dangerous. I'm so dangerous. And Sam says, uh, says uh, she's fine, but he's he's worried about there being a hundred men and only one woman. I, and I'm like, Sam, why are you worried? Raper, 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 thief and raper, thief, raper, raper, raper. <laughs> he's walking through the courtyard. <laughs> but you're proving my point, Joe. You're basically just describing the Smurfs. And Smurfette... <laughs> <laughs> The Night Watch. <laughs> the Night Watch is basically just uh, the big uh, Smurf village, and uh, Gilly is Smurfette in this situation. So she's gonna be fine. No, no, nothing to worry. Oh. But I can't uh, wait till they add the four other Smurfs. Oh yeah, it should be interesting. So uh, Sam, uh, I hope Neil Patrick Harris is there. So, so, I hope he doesn't show up later in the episode. <laughs> So uh, that's that's who that's who Brand's going to see. <laughs> it's very it's very possible. So we to me some of these lines were a little bit of a little attack of the colonial a little bit at times. Some of the some of the uh, dialogue between these two. Sam worries, and but don't why do you worry about me, Sam? Because I love you so much. I no, they didn't say love. They're like. But how do you feel about me, Sam? How do I feel about you, Gilly? It was just a, li a little, a little cheesy, a little bit, whatever. Yeah, it was. So basically, it, it was pretty bad. 
Yeah, so basically Sam wants to keep her safe, and he knows he can't keep her safe there, so he wants to take her to town and uh, and set her up into a... Uh, which and... which I find very confusing, knowing that John just came from a band of raiders who had just left him with three arrows in the south, just south of Moletown. Why would he think he should go bring her towards where the raiders were last seen? This big band of, like, a couple hundred raiders. Yo, you know why? Because Sam's not that bright. The cannibal raiders. <laughs> Sam's not bright. Sam, Sam's not a smart guy. So, and you would think that... The all thing is, Sam is, is a smart guy. Sam is a super smart guy. Sam is much smarter than... Wait, wait. It's wait. His anxiety and his nerves and his, and his general pansiness keep him from being seen as a smart guy, but he is a smart guy. Book smart is different than having uh, forest skill, street skills. And Sam doesn't have street smarts. He has book Sam's smarts. not going to say something to Jon Snow about, I'm worried Gilly's going to get raped by a hundred rapists and thieves. Exactly. That's Come what on. John and Jon Snow's going to say, don't bring her down to Mole Town because they're going to turn her out because it's a prostitute town. And after they're done turning her out, the Fens are going to eat her on their way here. Isn't it established that Jon Snow could kick all of the uh, remaining Night Watch alone, just himself with his sword? He could kick, defeat all of them. So I think the safest place is at Castle Black. Uh, that, that's that's just what I'm thinking. Especially when you get the target, the older Targaryen guy there protecting everybody. I think the safest place for her is there. If she hasn't been raped by now, I don't think they're going to do it. I I I just I think I think Sam's acting a little bit like a little little bit more a little bit of an idiot speaking of idiots we get our Stannis uh, cameo of the night and we get oh, Stannis this is pretty bad too and we that's what I was saying at the beginning of the episode I had a couple moments in this episode I could have I mean they need to happen but I don't I care more about Danny and I care more about the stuff that's going on with King's Landing I wanted more Tyrion tonight but I really feel like they're gonna stretch out this Tyrion thing they're gonna stretch it out up really far. They're going to stretch this out for as long as they can through the whole season. Same well, yeah, because because that's what's pretty much going to culminate Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we, we don't want to talk about that too much. And the same thing they're going to do with Danny, too. They're going to, they're going to stretch out the story. So they need to litter these episodes with uh, with our Stannis stuff. So we have Stannis and Davos tonight. No, uh, no Melisandre, just Stannis and Davos and Stannis' daughters in here as well, too. So, uh, yeah, I expect Stannis is going to become very heavy soon uh, yeah. over the next... It seems oh, like yeah, it seems like Stannis's story is ready to explode, ready to ready to connect back with because we know that he's trying to form an army to head to the Wall to go give aid to the Wall to fight with the White Walkers to try to prove himself again as an army. So uh, Stannis asks Davos to read something, and he reads that Joffrey's dead, and he said, "You saw me put a leech in the fire and call out Joffrey, good to be good to be dead." You see that Melisandre's magic works, and for the first time, we really see Davos say, "Yeah, I know her magic works." But magic doesn't win our win wars. Soldiers wins wars. We need soldiers too, and that's what Joe mentioned this earlier. This is where we get a mention of uh, a different group of cell swords that he talks about. Uh, the Bravo, the Golden, the, Company. The Golden Company, and uh, Stannis says probably the big culminating line from this scene is is I don't want to be a page in the history books of someone else. And uh, you're you're running out of time because if you don't form my army soon and I give up. Once I give up, you're the first one that's going to die. Uh, I want to kill you. We just get a vibe that Stannis wants to kill, kill him. 
get get my army together or I'll kill you. Blah, 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 blah. Stannis walks out. And then yep. we get an actual good scene. With well, he lists, yeah, he lists a bunch of, like, house lords that he's rallied to Stannis' cause, and he's like, yeah, they couldn't even defeat, you know, the, uh, they couldn't fight their way off a, off through a paper bag. You know, White Walker, they, they couldn't rob a Dairy Queen. You know, so right. <laughs> you know, things like that. They get their ass kicked into Fredley's. They, they can't do shit. So yeah, the Stannis was Stannis was being a real uh, real butthead. So then we get an actual good scene with uh, with Davos reading with uh, Stannis's daughter, and she's a hard teacher, but she's good and obviously has a lot of love for this guy. And he's correcting her the differences between a pirate and a smuggler, and talks about Stannis not knowing uh, not knowing the finer points of being a criminal. It's kind of a cute scene between the two of them. They got a good chemistry. They got a good chemistry that. Excuse me, Stannis doesn't have with anybody. But she has him read uh, uh, some hard reading, uh, like a difficult book. And and what the information that's in the book is something about some about Bravos, about the uh, the Bank of Bravos. And this is this is probably I want to say this is one of our fifth or sixth little comment over the last couple of seasons that we've had leading up to hearing more and more about this Bank of Bravos stuff. That sounds not, very Machiavellian, or uh, yeah, I'm not going to get too much. Into, it, it does. It definitely sounds Machiavellian, or or something. I, I I'm curious where this is going to go. I I have Medici, yeah, yeah, Medici. That's it. And then he kisses the daughter, and he gets a brilliant idea. And again, reading leads to good things, kids. Make sure you learn to read. <laughs> yeah, he's not up for the writing yet, though, as we see. <laughs> he needs someone with good penmanship, and he has her write a letter. He's writing some letter for some reason. But again, she tries to encourage him to do it himself, yeah, like she, a good, like a good little teacher. Yeah, she's good. She, she, she's, she's could be in a, she could be a PSA. <laughs> yep. No, having dragon sc scales is hard, but not as hard as it is to learn to read. So I, mean, I like, I like what they've done with, I like what they've done with, uh, with that okay. character. It yeah. was all, I think there's been a, quite a bit of change in that character from the books, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, she's she's much more of a character, and I and I connect with her a lot, and can you can see her plight and everything she's going through, and her connection with the Onion Knight is very real. Oh, well, Tyrion's gonna love her. Yeah, they're gonna be bastards and broken things. Ah, uh, he he's that's that's his that's his future wife. <laughs> <laughs> so so he kisses uh, kisses the daughter, and he has her write a letter to the Bank of Bravos from King Stannis. And we don't know what the contents of that letter is or what that's going to be all about, but it should be interesting. And I am very, very curious, especially considering that we did learn earlier in the season that the Crown owes a lot of money to the bank and that Tywin is being a little bit uh, blatant, a little bit blasé about it when he was talking to the Tyrells about it. When him and uh, uh, Grandma Tyrell were talking about this, he's like, yeah, I'm not too worried about it. And I think we also... Well, because I think he has a... He has a Definitely has a plan, you know. Once all everything's settled down, is when his plan will get into effect, and he'll heavily tax the entire kingdom. Yeah, and he, I, I think he's essentially king now, so he's going to be, a, and he's got a good head for business, and he'll completely rape Westeros of every fund it has and pay back the bank. And uh, and and we also I think got a scene with that at some point with Cersei saying something about fuck the bank. So uh, we'll we'll see how that all leads in the future and see what happens with this letter in Stannis. And that's enough of that. We have no more Stannis. And speaking of, let's just get this over with. Back to Sammy and Gilly. Uh, and Sam find Sam. They're in a, a whorehouse and the whores are trying to get 
uh, to, to be like, oh, you brought us a whore, a new worker. Okay, we'll get her. We'll get her some work. And it, it, Sam's like, no, no, no. I just need, she needs a place to stay. And they find her this old abandoned like crack shack. It looks like something out of uh, Requiem for it's a, a whorehouse in Millstown. It's an underground like hut with a grass roof. It's it's in it's way up way up north, so it's dug into the ground ten feet. So that way it'll stay a lot warmer rather than being an above ground dwelling. You know, it's right by the wall. It's a, and it's basically a whore town. And it services it services the men at the Black Watch. And that's what and that's what he decided that he was gonna take her to be more safe. And yeah, that that's the place that's the place where he's that's gonna be uh, the safest place for her in this situation. Sure, Sam. That's the smartest idea. So uh, he can't protect her at Castle Black. He can't fight. She's like, wait, you fought before. He's like, I can't fight all these men. I'm a, I can't do it. This is the safest place. And uh, cut away with baby crying. That's foreshadowing horrible things to come. So, <laughs> so but 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 not from not for nothing. We do we do get a wonderful transition, a wonderful fadeaway uh, cross cut from uh, babies crying and Sam's. Sam's uh, whole situation to a uh, orgy, yay! To an orgy with o- Oberon, Red Viper orgy. Cut to cut to making out and asses and lots of fun. Oh, it's 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 great. And uh, and his uh, the male hooker that we saw, one of Littlefinger's guys. Uh, the girl calls him over for a little makeout session, and and he doesn't like her. He doesn't like it. He doesn't he doesn't dig the girls at all. So he just goes. So he goes right back to the Viper, and the Viper explains why he's bisexual. He goes. Because you know what, you know why I like both because because everybody else in the world's missing out on half the fun. <laughs> yeah, I like I like I you know. Perfect. I, I choose when I in war I choose a side in love. I'm free. I'm free. Yeah, I'm not. There are no sides. There are no sides. Any whatever's fun at the mo- at the moment, I'm going to do. And I think that's a definite element of the Dornish people. That is a very big character trait of all those of of that part of the world of the Seven Kingdoms. Is they're very much live life for its fullest and in war fight with a, have a strong fist. But when you but there's no reason not to enjoy every aspect of life. That's because it's such a hard life and hard existence. It's a complete desert wasteland, uh, some thousand miles long, and three hundred feet, three hundred miles. You know, 300, miles wide. It's pretty big, just desert wasteland with thousands of people living in it. It's it's also we got a funny scene where he's like, make sure you have sex with, uh, make sure you fuck everybody until before you're too old. No one wants to fuck you anymore. And he's like, oh, what about you? He's like, no. Nah. And then his girls, like his paramours, like, no, 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 no. He's a uh, he's a prince. People will fuck him even when he's old and ninety. <laughs> you don't have to worry about him. He's gonna get it his whole life. He's uh so he's famous. So right at this point, right as things are about to get even more interesting, uh, Tywin shows up. Uh, you never thought you'd see Tywin walking into an orgy. And, he walks <laughs> and it's not just an orgy; it's a whorehouse. Yeah, he's a at whorehouse. a whorehouse. He, he even mentions that when he when uh oh Tywin Lannister in a whorehouse. Wow. You you gotta figure like t- Tywin would probably went down to the <laughs> house and talk to uh, Tyrion to ask him uh you you know what whorehouses do you think that uh that uh the Red Viper frequents so uh you you gotta wonder why how Tywin knows uh so much about whorehouses so uh so Tywin wants to talk to him he kicks everyone else out of the room and they have a co- sort of one on one conversation and he he and uh the Red Viper asks him to sit down for wine and he says sorry about your grandson. And uh, I'm I'm actually sorry. A child shouldn't pay for a father or a grandfather's sins. And uh, 
and basically he's just it's a push back and forth between the two of them where where he says that uh, uh Tyr- Tywin's like yeah some people think the king choked and uh and Oberon's like yeah you know some people think that's blue ass or something but no, he was poisoned. I and they they're like, oh, you know a lot about poison. He's like, listen, you know me well enough that if if I wanted to kill Joffrey, I'd make it known that it was me that killed Joffrey. He's he, Oberon's like, listen, you know me well enough that Andy said straight out that I I I don't blame a kid for his father's exactly. or his grandfather's sins. You know, he wasn't going to kill Joffrey, but he knew right away it was poison. And uh, Tywin poison at the Citadel. They talk about. And Tywin says, you talked to Tyrion right before that about what? And uh, Oberon's like, I talked to him about the fact that my sister was raped by the mountain and the fact that you uh, allowed it to happen. And Tywin's just so, he's so slimy. He just, like, keeps going with the talk. Yeah, yep, yep. You really think that I'm one of the people people that, that uh, proved the mountain? The mountain's a crazy person. He's like, listen, I know, them, I know you would have done that. And, and then Tywin's like, why don't you just kill me right now? <laughs> and, Oberon's like, and Oberon looks at him and he goes, do you think... You know me too well. You know I wouldn't do that because I'd be killed right away. If I'm going to kill you, I'm going to get away with it. <laughs> Basically, is what he says, says to him. If I'm going to kill you, I'm going to get away with it. And it was. It was well, just... he also kind of says to him, he doesn't even want to kill him. He wants. He wants to see the mountain. Right. You know, and it, it's interesting here too. Uh, I thought Tywin enters that room so strong. He's got three guards with him, three fully dressed knights with him. When he enters that room, he tells everybody to get out of the room. And he starts by interrogating Oberon about who okay. poisoned, about whether or not he poisoned his son Joffrey. Grandson. And, uh, yeah, grandson. Right, uh, grandson. Oh, uh, yeah. So he he gets to Oberon and he says that, listen, I will, I'll make a deal with you. You want the mountain? I'll deliver you the mountain. I'll give him to you. If you are, and Oberon's like, oh yeah, what do you, what do you want from me? If you are one of the, the uh, judges in Tyrion's trial. And he's like, well, what? And this is where the whole dynamic in the, in the conversation shifts, where Tyrion, Tywin came in so strong in the negotiation, in this, in this barging into the room, he's now kind of playing a more submissive role in the conversation. We see Oberon kind of start to flex. I know you want stuff from me. You know I didn't do this. And I think he even brings up Myrcella down in down yeah. in Dorne at that moment too. And this so, is re- this is really where we see it all flips. We see Tywin just making Tywin again another one you don't really want to play poker with because Tywin knows how to lay low and knows how to switch his mood up and you can never get a tell on him because he's just always got the same expression and the same focus but he knows how to changes changes method at the exact right time and give you a different feel a different way to bet out there and right there he totally knows what Oberon wants and he gives it to him and he also. Like for the first time, we really which is which is why he highlights to him that he sent the guards out of the room. You could kill me right now. They both basically say to each other. He says to him right then and there, "I'm not, I'm not here to play this game, and we're going to kill each other. I'm here for more than that." And, yeah, you know. And he's also like, "I also want you to sit on the council. We need the Dornish people's help. We need your guys' help because guess what? And this is the first time Tywin shown legitimate concern about this because we've." We've seen reference to this before where he just makes jokes about it. And this is the first time he's actually shown concern about this. He says, listen, there's a Targaryen girl with three fucking dragons. 
we need to band together. The Dornish people are the only ones that can fight off the Targaryens because of the weather out there and the dragons having a hard time dealing with the dealing with the conditions or whatever. The Seven Kingdoms aren't the Seven Kingdoms without the Dornish. Listen, I'll give you the mountain, let you kill the fucking mountain. You be, you join the fold and support us because this girl's coming to Westeros and we need to be ready for her. So Tywin basically gets what he wants out of the situation by giving something that he doesn't have any real loyalty to the mountain. He doesn't give a shit. No, the mountain's a servant to him. The exactly. mountain is a, their whole family. Any Anything that that family has was given to them by the Lannises, either by Tywin or Tywin's father. So there's nothing there that he won't just completely sacrifice. And it also sets up, as we find out with Pod in this next scene with Tyrion, it also sets up another situation to make the trial look even more justified in whatever the findings are, because obviously we would think that Mace Terrell's being on there, that he would be controlled by Tywin, but having Oberon there, it gives it a little bit more semblance of of actually having someone that's that's impartial there to ma- to help make the decision. And in a sense, again, what Tyrion says in a second, his father knows how to turn lemons into lemonade. He knows how to make a bad situation, to find the best out of a bad situation. So we go to Podrick and Tyrion after this. Uh, finally get to see Tyrion. And uh, Tyrion apologizes for the stench because he's just been shitting on the floor. There's nothing he can do about it. Podrick, Podrick, such a great guy, tried to sneak Tyrion some wine, and uh, but he couldn't get some the wine. wine and cheese. But he did get no. He couldn't get the wine, but he did get the duck sausages and some cheese and some candles, so he could read. And uh, also informs him that he didn't hear from Shay, and uh, Shay seems to be uh, off and away and, and, and safe. Yep, safe. And he asks him what's about to happen. He's like, "Oh, I'm gonna ha- your trial's gonna happen in a fortnight, and for killing the king." And Tyrion's like, "You know, I didn't do it." And and Podrick's like, "I know you didn't do it." And and uh, Tyrion's funny. He's just like. You know, the world's better without Joffrey, but I would think if I was going to kill him, I would be smart enough not to put myself in the situation, and I would think that everyone would realize <laughs> I'd be too smart to 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 hold. To the be person. holding the dagger essentially in front of everybody as I killed them. <laughs> yeah, but but the world is a better place without uh, Joffrey. He found a way to like found a little joy there. It's like at least Joffrey's gone. You know, if I'm gonna die, at least I'm living in a world. Tom and Tomlin's a be- much better individual. He's gonna be the king. That's fine. You know, Tywin. He's for whatever it's worth. He thinks he knows Tywin's not a fool, and he knows that Tywin's always serving. You know, the better good of the family for the most part. So, so he's like, okay, Joffrey's gone. Joffrey was the real villain in this situation. This gives Cersei less control too. So it's it's a good situation. So he also, uh, Podrick also tells him about who the judges are in the uh, in the trial with it being Tywin and Mace Tyrell and Oberon, and that's when uh, that's when uh, Tyrion says the thing about Tywin can uh, make a bad situation good, <laughs> and uh, and the. It, Podrick asks him about who he wants as his witnesses, and he says, I want my wife as my witness. And Podrick's like, she's gone. <laughs> and uh, Tyrion's like, you know, good, but it does make me look more guilty. Yep, of course. Yeah, well, this is the first time he hears about Sansa being, being uh, having fleed from, from the scene of the murder. And he also talks about how uh, uh, at this uh, at this moment about who could possibly have been the person that killed Joffrey, and he says it could be anyone. And or he says he asks about uh, if anyone if 
if they've seen Braun, they said he's he can't see Braun. They won't let him see Braun because Braun's too fierce of a warrior or whatever. He might fight his way out with him. But he, he talks about who could it be that uh, killed Joffrey. And he, basically, he sums it up to say it. he thinks it might be... A, Tyrion's thinking it may have been Tywin because he serves that maybe he could have more control over Tomlin. Like, he's looking at it from Tywin's perspective that maybe Tywin did this. He's saying the one thing he knows for sure is that Cersei didn't do this. Because he's like, Cersei wouldn't kill Joffrey. He thinks, he's like, it could be anybody. It could be anybody but Cersei, is basically what he says. And and then we get we get a really sad scene here, in a sense, because we get Podrick before he leaves admitting that he's been approached to uh, testify against Tyrion. And if he testifies, he will become Sir Podrick Payne. And, uh, and Tyrion basically says to him, you should do this. Why aren't you doing this? Sell me well, down. Well, if he... He says to him, do whatever they want you to do, but it's also, he says, you know, get the hell out of here. He says, you know, get, get as far away as you can because... No matter what you do, he's pretty much a dead a dead man at that point. If he says, "Yeah, I knew I knew that he was buying all this poison," they might turn around and make him culpable too, not to, not give him a a knight. So Tyrion becomes gravely concerned immediately for poor Podrick Payne, who Tyrion holds in such high regard. He, this nervous little boy that he identified with so much, which is one of the reasons why he he wanted him as a squire or accepted him as the squire. Held on to him. Also, so he, killing with the ladies, ladies. By the way. Oh yeah, of course, of course. That the stuff of the ladies. And he gives him one last order to get to get Jamie to have Jamie come and see him. And he says, "Get the hell out of King's Lit. Get, get my brother and get out. Get the hell off of Mars. Get the head to Mars, Quaid. Get out of Mars, Quaid. Get out of Mars, Quaid." He tells them. To <laughs> and uh, does that make? Tyrion Quatu. <laughs> in this moment, it does. In this moment, it does. So uh, we get a farewell. He says farewell to the best, as the best squire I ever had in my life. And Podrick, goodbye for now. Maybe, maybe we'll meet again in the other side. And yeah. and uh, so we go back to You're the uh, best squire any anyone could ever have. And he ha he has been, to be completely honest. We get farewell to Podrick for now. So, uh, so then we get a little uh, some northerners talking about uh, no one bakes a better potato than mom. No one does, and I got really hungry. I got really excited for this baked potato. I was like, "Oh, mom's baked potato really is the best." And right as they're talking about that, we get another arrow through the head from uh, from a wildling attack on the northern village. And, well, it, and, and it was from no other, none other than our favorite ginger, our favorite fire hair. Uh, Evie, Yvette, well, how do you pronounce her name? Yvette, yeah. Yvette. Egret. 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 Thank you. Egret. And uh, it almost seemed like one of those scenes when uh, in the beginning of Braveheart before William Moore Wallace fights back when the English invade one of the towns in the Scottish. <laughs> it was a very Braveheart town sort of thing. And we get one kid that hides as he watches his mother and father die. And then we, then we get our, uh, our cannibal people grabbing the kid, saying, do you know where Castle Black is, kid? And he's like, yeah, I know where Castle Black is. I'm thinking they're going to hunt him down and bring him to Castle Black, but no. They go, you're going to sit here and watch watch us eat your mom and dad, and then we're going to send you back to Castle Black to tell the guys that you just watched us eat your mom and dad. So they eat the mom and dad, and they send the kid back to Castle well, Black. Well, they know it'll go, it'll go a lot quicker if they let this kid run off to Castle Black on his own, 
they'll get there, and then they'll have a nice trail that they can follow. It easy, worked easy. It worked for Batman. Right. It worked for Batman. You know, you beat up all the guys. You save one. You say, you t- tell him, tell him that, that 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 there's a new knight in town. Tell him that I'm Batman. And and that's basically what he does. He tells him that he's Batman. That, that except instead of being Batman, <laughs> we're cannibal men. Yeah, we're cannibal men. Instead of being Batman, they eat people. So we're Castle Black talking about how to deal, how to deal with the situation, and we fi- we finally get a John Snow sighting uh, at uh, Castle Black, and uh, and he talking about what we should do. Should we go after these guys? Should we stay here? Should what what should we do? What what's the situation? And well, well, we see well, we see uh, asshole dude. Yeah, the uh, the the guy that hates Jon Snow being like, listen, he finally, right? He finally uh, calls on Jon Snow to make to make the same point he he needs made as a as a voice of reason towards uh towards the troops. He kind of gives Jon Snow credence as a as a leader right at that moment as someone that should be listened. Basically, to be like, everybody here knows that the two of us don't get along. If we're agreeing, you listen to us, cause we, cause, or, or we're fucked, is basically what he's saying to him. Right. And, uh, and he says, what's Jon Snow say? Jon's like, we need to stop Mance Raider, because if we don't, Mance isn't going to find another army until he gets like into the heart of the North, until he right. reaches the Sultan armies. And, and well, then, they're, not talking about go- they're not talking at that point about going down to that village. They're talking about going to Craster's Keep. Yeah, to get the um, people who have taken it over and are raping right, all the that, 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 that actually comes right afterwards. It, uh, cause it, no, no, it, that, that's the first part. They talk about. Oh no, you're right. They're talking about the 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 mole. Right, the, the army situation. So then we need to protect My the bad. wall. They decide they need <laughs> to protect the wall. So then, right afterwards, they see we see the two guys from uh, two of our our. Are men in black that we've seen before. They come and they escape from Craster's place. And they said that they're the guys that did the mutineer there, the guy that stabbed Craster. They're there with all the food and all the girls, and they're hoarded up in there, and they're not leaving. And uh, and the wildlings are kind of heading in that direction. And uh, that's not bad. Yeah, and that's when Jon Snow says, I told them that we have like a thousand people here, and that's part of the reason why the Wildlings aren't just charging the gates right now, because they think we have so many men. If they go to Craster's place, they're going to see these guys, and these guys are friggin' scumbags. They're just going to tell them that, oh yeah, there's only like 150 guys at the Night's Watch. Don't worry. Don't Murderers, rapers, and thieves. Like, that's who the Night Watch is made up of, and if these guys think that they're free north of the wall, they're going to do whatever they can to stay alive, and having their fingernails pulled out, they're going to say, yeah, there's only uh, 20 people, 100 people on that wall. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah. So we. So that's when, as Joe was saying, uh, they go. Okay, what we need to do now is go to Craster's Keep and and stop these mutineers. That's the first order of business because we need to stop them before the wildlings get there, so we can keep our illusion up, keep the illusion of that we have stronger defenses than we actually do. So then we go to our last storyline of the evening. We go to our finally see Daenerys again. This is the first time we've seen Daenerys in a little bit. We I loved this scene. This was great. They did this. Fin- uh, yeah. So almost we brought me to tears. 
So we see Danny hand, heading towards Marine and uh, on her horse alone towards the walls. And she's doing her breaker of the chains thing where she's going to go talk to the slaves and try to get them. But she knows that these slaves have been lied to a little bit more. I think the slavers have told these slaves that she kills them. She doesn't really free slave, that she's she's a liar. She's not she's not true. This is the strongest slave city in, in the whole, uh, whole, whole of the East, maybe the whole world. So... So it's the it's the it's it's the last city for quite a while, and it's a port city, I believe. So it's like the last city before they before like a forever wasteland. They they need to take this city. They need to be able to feed themselves as an army to keep going west. So this is a a, a very important city. If they go back to the last city, it. You know that's already been ravaged and wasted. There's nothing there for them, so, <laughs> so we, they kind of have to take the city. So we get something that Jamie Lannister would probably really love. This situation we get we get the one uh, one guy from the city of Marine, the champion, that comes out <laughs> for honorable battle. And this guy uh, this guy whips his dick out and starts peeing and screaming at him in uh, in whatever language that they speak. And starts and uh, that we got a translator that says basically the, he's calling all the uh, the army of the unsullied a bunch of dickless men that would they get their dicks cut off and shoved in their assholes, <laughs> and and Danny responds to shut this one down to shut up that we will get the champion. She asks for a champion. Grey Worm says I'll do it, but but she's like no, you're unsullied. We, I you're need, too important. You're too you're important. The leader of my unsullied. And so then, of course, uh, Sir Barristan steps up and goes, "I'm the finest warrior in all the land. I should do it." And she goes, no, "I'm the I'm the best in single combat. I've killed more, had more victories in single combat than any man alive." Yep, that, that's saying that's saying a lot. That's, that's saying quite a lot. That's saying a lot. And she says, "And that's the reason why I cannot let you go out there. Yeah, that's that's you're too important." That's why I need you in case this goes bad. That's why I need you by my. I'm Spartacus. They all start yelling and screaming. I'm Spartacus. And then uh, Jar Jar over there, Jora says, "How about me?" And she goes, "No, you're my." And this is very interesting too, just because you're my closest advisor. No, she says she says my closest friend is what she says, which is really interesting to me because as close. Okay, this is last thing about the books in comparison to the show. It. Their relationship is so much different to me in the books and the show. I don't feel like it. they set up enough on the show. I think they have too much of a healthy relationship on the show. And it, you I don't, do too. You don't see enough of him pining over her. In the books, just for the people that uh, are just show watchers. He's got a, a constant heart on for her. Constant crush for her. It's even more evident. It's more prevailing. Like He can't get away from it. Everything he it's does. Why, it's why he, he decided not to have her poisoned back in season one is because he really started to get like he, he just really started to fall for her. She was gorgeous, smart, innocent. Yeah, and to you me, on the, on the show, it comes off more like he gained his honor, and he decided that she was the true queen, and that he needs to fight for her. It to me, it can't, comes off more in that sense rather than it come, rather than him being madly in love with her. I feel like I just feel like it doesn't come, come across as much. So it's gonna make it's just gonna make upcoming events very very interesting. So she well, says. It, there's also future events too, so it might not. Either way, it might not change character arc so much from the books. No, so no, it's, I'm it's not just, sure it's it's that it's important. Just, so it just sets up their relationship. It's just very different. It's just different, right? It's just different. So uh, she says, "No, you're my closest friend," and so Dario or not Dario says, um, <laughs> "says well, I'm a nobody, and I'm the last to join the crew. 
I'll do it. I'll kill him. And she says, well, you got a big audience here. And they also mention that even if he doesn't kill him, have a good show. And well, it's, it's interesting, too, because it's important. She's choosing a champion. She's choosing, you know, a champion is very, uh, very important thing. It's a very symbolic thing as well. So she doesn't want these old guys to be her champion. She doesn't want Nunsullied to be her champion. She chooses the sellsword, the macho, the brave guy. And she's like, oh, that's very brave of you, you know? Yep. And she also chooses the one that she probably has the biggest heart on for. Yeah. <laughs> and, she really she finds him very attractive. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, and and, and uh, he's okay. I'm, I'm not a big. I'm not. I'm still not a big fan of New Dario, even though I did like this scene that's about to happen. Old Dario had more character in his face, a little bit yeah. more. Uh... I would have liked to see old Dario, old Dario in this scene, but but whatever. I still think it was a cool scene. So he says, "I'm nobody. I'm the last guy. I'll kill him." So she steps out there and she says, "It's a good audience. You know, put up a good fight." And she asks him if he wants a horse because this person's gonna charge at him like a knight. And he says, "No, I don't want a, a horse." And I think this is a little bit of a, a little, little uh, Dothraki dig too here. She goes, uh, "Horses." It was, are it was a big Dothraki dig. It's a good call. Good yeah, call. Big, biggies. Uh, men are faster than horse than uh, horses. Horses are dumber than men. And the horses guy are faster than yeah. Horses are faster than men. He says, "Yeah, but they're also not as smart." Yeah, they're all dumb. And uh, the horse charges New Dario, and Dario sits there very calmly, pulls out a knife. Full, full jousting gear, full speed, full speed ahead, uh, 20, 20 paces in front of where the queen herself is still standing. Yep. He, barely, he barely advances at all towards this other champion before he starts riding at full gallop towards towards uh, Dar Daenerys Dar champion. Dario. And, and Dario pulls out a knife, and then he goes full Jack Burton on this guy. It's all in the <laughs> And this horse charges him, and he throws the knife right into the horse's head. It's again, we get some cruelty to horses. We should have got right into his eye, right into the horse's uh, left eye, and right the guy, eye, something like that. And the guy what falls out and hits the ground, and then he walks right up to him, takes his curb, <laughs> and while the guy's still getting up. He kills him. A very brawn, a very brawn-like move too. Wouldn't you imagine? Yeah, the horse, the the horse digs right into the ground, and the guy flies through the air, lands right at his feet. It was yep. and like is coming up through the dust when he gets his head cut off. It was pretty sick. And this is all still twenty paces in front of where the queen herself is standing. And it's such a shock to everybody that's watching from the walls of Marine. They instantly order their archers to to fire. Yep, and they to, fire to try to kill the champion as well. And he's just right. He's just a little bit too far away, and he just steps right back and does a. No, little... He doesn't even step back. He doesn't even have to move. They he never they never ever went within arrow range. It was one of the fatal faults in their foolish champion. Yep, and and so it was a very fun kill from uh, New Dario, and it was a good moment and showed him being kind of cool. And then to top off the scene, he whips out his dick and he takes a piss on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Which was fantastic. Or right back at you, motherfuckers. <laughs> and all the Unsullied turned their backs on them. And then and then we got Khaleesi stepping up and doing her uh, speech to the people and says that the masters lied to them uh, and I've I have proof and I'll show and of you. Of course it's all in the it's all in the slave tongue and it's it's uh, subtitles at the bottom for us. Exactly. And basically says that the masters lied to you and I've got proof and I'll show you right now and pulls out catapults and starts firing catapults, these bucket catapults, these Donkey Kong barrels. 
over to the city that smash and we well, see that speech that speech was really good too because it, it was awesome. she she talked about the last two cities she was at and how those are all the the first city I went to all those slaves they were slaves where they were but now they stand behind me and then I went to another city and all the slaves they now stand behind me not because I, I told them to but because they want to because they're free and yes. you can be too I, it was a very touching very moving speech and I, like I was welling up as I was reading it all in the bottom I freed all the other cities, now you're free too. I've come to Marine, not as your enemy. The masters are your enemies. I bring choice. I bring choice to die or to come with me. And then she brings out the catapults, and she fires them at the cities, and the slave masters don't look happy. But then they look inside, and you know what it is? It's the oh, those barrels. Yeah, you think that maybe they're rocks being hurtled? But yep. no, when those barrels break open, when those things break open, that's sweet. Their chains and they're the uh, the bra the, the collars the collars from all the slaves that she set free just to show no them. no uh, it's no. not the collars from the ones that she set free it's oh, she the, she okay. mentions in the uh, that they stole your children from you they and they sell them they kill them and they sell them and they enslave your children and these are the collars of the dead that were posted ah, yeah. every mile marker on oh, the way the, up to the, the city people. it was the when, people she brought down you know, she says when you when you cut them all down. And you bury them, and when you bury them, before they go into the ground, you remove their collar. And so she saved every one of their collars, and she sent them back over the wall to the to the slaves in the I city. Did not, I didn't pick up on that good move by Daenerys. Another yeah. smart move in there to to uh, to more to even more win over the people. And and that is our episode ends. And it was a very good episode. Uh, not as not as exciting, obviously, as the last episode, or even. Uh, leading into the first episode of the season, but a lot of stuff happened. I thought the Daenerys story was great. I think everything we got in King's Landing was great. I wasn't a huge fan of the Stannis stuff and wasn't a huge fan of the Sam stuff. I would have rather a little bit more Jon Snow, but whatever. Whatever, we're still early. We need filler episodes that move the plot along, and this was a reactionary episode to deal with a lot of, uh, a lot of setting up our pegs in interesting situations. So... So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, seeing how the season progresses and hopefully seeing a little bit more Tyrion next week and a little bit more of that storyline progressing is what I'm hoping. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. I wish there was two episodes a week, Joe. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to say something, too, about last week's episode. Mm -hmm. Someone made a comment at the bottom uh, about when Bronn and Jamie Lannister are fighting and they led on to something that might happen in the future. Bronn makes a a quick remark about um, Tywin Lannister, an old family thing about the Lannisters, as well as always paying their debts, so that Tywin Lannister should hold. Mm -hmm. And Bronn makes that little comment about uh, Tywin shitting gold when they first start, which is an interesting thing, that a little foreshadow moment for everybody out there, and I like that that comment was put. Yeah, and in, in, I, I gotta say that Braun seemed a little weird when we saw him last episode too. So some weird stuff might be going on with Braun. We'll have to keep an eye out for that for the future. But uh, but Joe, I, this is another great show. I'd like to thank everyone that was checking out the show live. Please comment away in the comment section and let us know what you thought of this episode and what you thought of anything we had to say. And please subscribe. Join us. We'll be back next week to talk more about Game of Thrones uh, and more post-episode recaps and issues coming along the way in the future. You can follow me on Twitter at I Got Issues Man. Check out the website, issuesprogram.com, and 
please, as I said, subscribe to the page. And uh, we'll be, a lot more episode recaps, more shows coming. Uh, 24 is coming back, and I think I'm going to do a little uh, post-episode recap about 24. Nice. If I can keep up with uh, the Jack Bauer, so uh, that might be That'll be nice. Episode. And, and it will be an interesting perspective on it if I do it with you because I, I've never watched any of, the, any of the Jack Bauer, so I'll be watching this season new. Interesting, okay. With so fresh eyes. Without it. knowing much of the past either, so. So if you're interested in the 24, keep an eye out for that. Uh, that comes back May the 5th. But, but, uh, but if you're just interested in Game of Thrones, we will be back next week to talk more Game of Thrones. Have a good night, Joe. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good night, everybody. You talk too. to you next week. Later. <laughs>